Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Do you remember normal? You, you remember that? Like you remember, remember when you used to get in the car and actually drive to work on a Monday morning? You remember that? Remember what that was like? Remember when Main Street here in the village used to actually be busy because traffic was out and you were going back and forth and how angry you were because you went two blocks and it took you 25 minutes to go two blocks? Remember that? Remember that? If you're at home, do you remember what it was like to actually come to church? I mean, some of you are here, but really not, not all of us are here and we know that. We miss you. So we miss you. We want you to know that. Do you remember what it was like? Uh, you remember what it was like to go to the playground with the kids and you couldn't have to decide whether or not you were putting the mask on your kid or if you were going to be the one person at the playground with the mask on your kids and the rest of them you're looking at them like they're from a different planet. You, you remember that? Remember what that was like? Remember when you went out to dinner at the restaurant and all you had to do is decide between whether you were going to eat at a, if you want to eat at a booth or you wanted to eat at a table and you weren't deciding whether or not you were going to take your life in your hands by eating at this restaurant tonight? Remember that that was the decision that you had to make? That was it? Like it wasn't such a big deal. Remember that? That, that, it's a little bit different now. Things have changed a little bit. The nor normal has changed. And so when we, when we look today, we want to we spend time a little bit differently. Normal has changed in how we spend our time. Normal has changed the way we interact with each other. Normal has changed how we even look at God's Word and how we uh, interact with God's Word. That has changed as well. Normal is changing. Uh, normal now means that we are going to spend a day behind a computer screen. Uh, normal now means that we feel isolated and alone. Normal now means that we're anxious about everything, concerned about everyone and everywhere, how everything is moving around and how it affects us. Normal uh, means that we're angry more often than we were. Normal is that we are afraid more than we should be. This is the new normal. At least that's what we've uh, been told. And so some of our people, some of you this morning, you may be coming in and you're hanging by a thread. And so maybe you being here today is your last thread. And it's not my desire to like snip that last thread off and you go out of here and you've lost your ever-loving mind. Like that's not, that's not my desire for us here today. We're going to look at God's Word and be able to say, okay, the Bible teaches us that it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus Christ teaches that there is a new normal. So this morning, my name is Pastor Milo. If you're a guest with us this morning in the room or watching online, and we're going to be starting a new sermon series today called The New Normal. And the reality is we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, and we're going to be looking really specifically at Matthew's chapter 3 and 4. If you're familiar with Matthew, there's, there's these big dialogues that happen where Jesus is teaching. The Sermon on the Mount is one of them that begins in Matthew chapter 5. And you'll hear him say this phrase over and over again. You'll hear him say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have thought that things were this way, but let me tell you what the reality is. And there's this new normal that he is beginning to set up. But we also need to realize in chapters 3 and 4, before he even begins that dialogue, that there has been a, a, a table setting that has gone on by the author, Matthew. Now, if you open the Gospel of Matthew, you'll, you'll see his name. You'll see it often. Now, uh, we believe that Matthew is uh, Matthew the tax collector, who's one of the 12 apostles who follows Jesus uh, we don't know for absolute certain that is. It's an anonymous as far as the book is concerned, but early traditions tell us that. 
If you've been with us for a while, we've been traveling through the book of Acts. And so now, 30 years, 40 years after Jesus was ascended into heaven, uh, these different disciples are realizing that when they are coming to the end of their lives, that if the gospel is going to continue to go out, they need to write some of this stuff down to make sure that they get it into the hands of people. Because up to that, it was just a verbal a recapitulation of what Jesus had done. They were going to say that and tell that story to anyone who would listen. And so specifically in Matthew chapter 3 and 4, it is chock-a-block full of cross-references to Old Testament context. And so what we're going to do each week of this series is actually we're going to look at an Old Testament passage one week and then look at the New Testament uh, passage here in Matthew. So specifically next week will be in chapter 3 to be able to see, okay, what were they referring back to? Why is that so important? And what does it mean for us uh, today? So big ideas that Matthew is going to be teaching us. Matthew, this tax collector, someone who's really good at documenting things, he's trying to help us see the connection across the book of Matthew, but you're going to see it here in chapters 3 and 4. Big ideas like this, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that we had been waiting for, the one who is in the lineage of David. That's why Matthew opens up uh, with this great uh, lineage, genealogy, the very first chapter of Matthew. <clears throat> Secondly, that he is an authoritative teacher like Moses. Uh, most of the book of Matthew is set up very similar to the Old Testament, first five chapters of the Old Testament, so that you see this connection to Moses in the way that he taught as well. And then thirdly, you're going to see that, that Jesus is not only here, he is God with us. He is what we talk about at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. And just as uh, we saw in the intro video is that the kingdom of God is not far away. No, the kingdom of God is near and he is with us. And so that's why even at the beginning of the book of Matthew, we have that familiar story, that Christmas story of the baby being born in the manger becoming accessible to us. But this morning we're going to look at Isaiah chapter but first let me read for you Matthew 3 because this is what we're going to get to next week. I wanted to show you the connection, what we're going to do next week. Matthew chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying this, Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Remember we said that's all about Emmanuel. He's coming near. This is he was, excuse me, this is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And he said this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make your straight paths for him. So where does that come from? What's the context? Why is John the Baptist being talked about as the one who's preparing the way of the Lord? I'm glad you asked. Let's go back. Isaiah chapter 40. So we're going to spend all of our time today, uh, and today's text will be Isaiah chapter 40. And you get the context by which Matthew is pointing to when he says, hey, pay attention that this John the Baptist is important because he's the one that was talked about by the prophet Isaiah. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take the new normal and we're going to look at the things that are normal and easy for us to do. And we're going to see that in Scripture, Jesus is teaching us in the New Testament and Isaiah is teaching us in the Old Testament that we don't look at things in this world the same way that everyone else is looking at them. So here's our first point for you this morning. This is the new normal. We will be trading chaos for comfort. Trading chaos for comfort. What do I mean like that? Well, normally we would we would actually dive into or engage in the chaos that's all around us. But God is going to tell us here to trade that in for comfort. 
Now this week, this time of year, typically at an elementary school, there's, I don't know if it's called a fall fest or an open house or what it's, what it's called, but at Forest Elementary School, they invite all the parents and all the kids to come to the school and participate in total and utter chaos. It's absolutely nuts. I, you can't find a parking space. Eventually, uh, you just leave your car somewhere in the road in the center of traffic, and you just get out and you leave it there, and you walk into school and hope that your vehicle is there when you return. When you get into the school, uh, you release your kids, and they run in every direction. They open up the gym. They open up the cafeteria, and you're supposed to be somehow looking at pictures that they've painted or created and all that. But really, all it is is the kids have a free-for-all for an hour in the school, and the teachers are sometimes there. And when they're there, they actually smile and say, isn't this great? The kids just getting a chance to enjoy one another here in the evening. And the reality is, is they say that because you are there as the parent, and you're responsible for them. They don't have any responsibility for the nutty things that are going on. And for me specifically, this environment, this chaotic environment drives me up the wall. I would much rather go in during the school day when the teachers have control. They know what's going on because I have no idea what to do. I don't know whether this kid is supposed to be jumping off of this thing. His parents are clearly not watching him. Uh, his parents have their phones out, and they're taking pictures of him jumping off of something, tackling my kid, and I don't know if I'm supposed to be angry or if this is part of what we're supposed to be enjoying by being together. Are you tracking with me? This is a small illustration of the world that we live in at the moment. It feels like it's total, utter chaos. We don't know who's responsible, who's in charge, whether the virus, whoever the virus is, whatever the virus is, whether that's driving all the decisions that are being made. Uh, we don't understand the school schedule. The day before school started, if you're here in the Williamsville School District, the superintendent is let go, he's fired, and like, it's just like, okay, here we go. And it's just, it's wacky. We don't know what's going on. It's chaos. If you watch the news, just watch the Weather Channel because you think that if you watch the Weather Channel, it'll be less political than everything else. The Weather Channel, you turn it on and you see that there's tornadoes. You see that there's hurricanes. You see, it, it doesn't seem like there's any stability anywhere you look. And then you turn on the other networks and you're able to see, okay, there's rioting in the streets. There's looting going on. This is a, a crazy time to be alive. And, and then you look on the other side of the extreme and you say, okay, there seems to be a police brutality running uh, rampant in the same kind of chaotic environment. How are we supposed to look at these things? How are we supposed to deal with these things? And when we come back and we look at things and we say, I don't know what to do. And we read scripture and it tells us, we're going to trade chaos for comfort. Let me explain. Beginning in, in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Trading chaos for comfort. Trading chaos for comfort. So if we look at this passage, what he is saying twice, right out of the gate, is he's saying, people, you need to be comforted. But the previous 39 chapters of Isaiah, if you're not familiar with Isaiah, there's a, a natural break here. Some people believe even that it's a different author, that there may be a second person who's come in and started writing, because Isaiah chapter 40 feels different than Isaiah's chapters 1 through 39. Because in Isaiah chapter 1 through 39, the prophet is going after the people of Israel because they have walked away from God. And he says, you are in trouble. But then for Isaiah chapter 40 to open up, and he says, be comforted, people. 
be comforted. What happens in Isaiah chapter 39, this transition chapter, is we, we, we learn that King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah has, has brought the enemy into the camp and walked them through and showed them all of the blueprints of how the city goes together. He showed them all of the wealth. He's, he's shown them, okay, here's our military strategy and plan. Here's the, the blueprints for the fighter jets. Here's, here's the blueprints for all of our military installations. Here's where we keep all of our financial institutions sound. Here's how we do all of these things in case you ever want to come in and wipe them out. And Hezekiah, this King Hezekiah, in one of the saddest verses in Isaiah, chapter 39, he looks at all that's in front of him. And he says, well, at least it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Their leader, their king, says, I can rest easy tonight. I'm a blessed man because I can go to sleep and it'll be my kids, it'll be other generations that are going to have to deal with this problem. And then you turn the page. And Isaiah chapter 40 says, be comforted in this environment. Be comforted in this environment. The, Isaiah has said, the Assyrians are coming. Isaiah knew what it was to warn and instruct God's people. He was warning them that trouble was on its way. The Assyrians are coming. The Assyrians are coming. But then he says, be comforted in this. Be comforted, my people. Trade your chaos for comfort. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it speaks of God, uh, our Lord is, is God of our comfort. And he wants his messengers to speak comfort into people. When I step into the pulpit here, when you walk into your circle of friends, your family, are you a voice of comfort? Or are you another voice that is straining and pulling and stretching and adding to the chaos? The Lord speaks comfort to his people. And any group waiting to hear God's word, when you came here this morning, you wanted to, to find a word of comfort. It's important for those to be, who are hurting to hear words of comfort from God's word. As one preacher put it, he said, preach to broken hearts and you will never lack an audience. This week was the, the uh, anniversary of 9-11. Our churches were full after 9-11 because people were coming. Just like you're watching at home now, we're finding that people are coming because they're looking for words of comfort in, in a world of chaos that they don't understand. And when we read here that sin has received from the Lord's hand a double, excuse me, that she, Israel, has received from the Lord's hand a double for all of her sins. When you look at that passage, initially when you look at it, you say, wait a minute, they are getting double the impact? They're getting double uh, against them? Now, what, what's actually being said here, this double actually means that for all the sins that you've committed, uh, if you, you, there's a carbon copy or a sheet of paper that you fold over, and if you were to, to write out with a marker and it bleeds through, that for all the sins that you've committed, there is enough comfort, there is enough care, there is enough God to cover all of the sins that you have committed and find comfort in that. So friends, I don't know where you're coming in this morning. I don't know how concerned you are walking in this morning. I don't know how anxious you are walking in this morning. I don't know if you're walking in this morning or watching online this morning and feel like you are at the bottom rung of society because you are a sinner who needs God. Understand, coming into this environment, understand and know that God's carbon copy covers you no matter what your sin is. And so the new normal is that we trade our chaos for comfort. Secondly, 
we trade, we are trading distress for direction. Trading distress for direction. So if distress is what is normal for us right now, we find direction is a new normal that is being taught to us here in Scripture. Let me explain. A couple years ago, I went on a cross-country trip with our family. Uh, One of the stops that we made was to Old Faithful. Many of you have been there. You've seen it before, right? Uh, Maybe not, but you've heard of it before. It's a geyser. And it's a geyser that goes off on the hour, every hour, with perfect, uh, perfect timing. Every hour on the hour. Except when we were there, it didn't go off on the hour. So it wasn't perfect timing like it was promoted. But when we got there, it was pretty exciting. It was pretty neat. There was, everyone was standing around hundreds, maybe a thousand people standing there. And the geyser goes off. And I don't know what I was expecting, like a, a moon launch or something. Like it was big, but it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. But when you were there, like part of being there is there's all these other geysers. That's the most famous one. There's all these other geysers, all of these different things you can look at. And Maya at the time, my daughter Maya at the time, was pretty young. And so as we're walking around, she sees on the side a sign that says, "Stay, you know, parents, make sure you hold on to your children. And it had a picture of a stick figure child stepping into a geyser. And then there's like this circle and this X through it. Like the, the stick figure doesn't make it. And she was not that old, but she could look at that picture and say, this doesn't look good for the stick figure. And so what ends up happening is we walk around, we go and look at some of the other geysers and, and all these different things there, and we're looking over a fence, and, and we as a family kind of said, okay, let's move on to the next thing, and Maya wasn't paying attention. And so she was kind of holding on to the railing, and we moved on, and we left her standing there at the rail. And we were only maybe 100 feet away from her, but it was a long ways Longer than it should have been. There was a family friend with her, but she didn't really know the family friend that well. And so when she turned around and didn't see her family, didn't see people she knew, and she saw the sign that said, she knew what was coming. She was going to be the next stick figure added to the sign. And that girl had so much distress and panic in her face when she came running to us because she thought for certain her life was over. That's the, the, the feeling that many of you have right now in this environment that we're in. That is definitely the feeling that is here. And so we will trade our distress for direction. Let me explain. Picking up from verse 3. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and the people will see it together. All the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the new normal, we will trade distress for direction. Let me explain. So if you're looking at this passage, you see this statement, prepare the way of the Lord. The idea is that the Lord is coming to his people as a king, coming to to his kingdom. And there's this road prepared before him so that he can come and he can travel in glory and in ease. He's the triumphant warrior coming back to his people. And every obstacle that's in the way, every every turn or every jump, it all has to be removed. The valleys need to be raised up. The mountains need to be knocked down so that the path is made straight and the rough places are made smooth. You see, when Maya was in a panic and she was in distress, it was because she didn't know the way. She didn't know where her parents were. She didn't know how to find her way to them. She was lost. And when the path is straight, 
And when the direction is clear, it is easy to find the king. It is easy to find the king. Part of that cross-country trip, we traveled all different terrain. Many of you have driven all over this country. And when you see roads that are cut through the mountains in Colorado, and you're just looking, like, how did they do that? How did they figure out that a, that a road could go there and wind and make its way through? Like, like they had to make the valleys, raise the valleys up, have to bring the mountains down. Like they had, and, and, and all of the work and all the effort that it takes to do that. It took an engineer and, and the Army Corps of Engineers to be able to make many of those things possible. Someone had to be behind that. There's a voice in the wilderness calling, prepare the way for the Lord. Someone is working and preparing the way for the Lord. If you've driven through Kansas, I mean, there's not a lot to see in Kansas. But that road is straight. The highway is, I mean, it is like, how do they do that? 100 miles, 200 miles, and it seems like, man, that thing did not move at all. Preparing the way of the Lord. It's a word picture, but the real preparation takes place in our own hearts. Being prepared, building that road is expensive. Doing that work is not easy. In, in Springville, New York, if you ever go down uh, to ski country, there's this road, and you'll, you'll go across the bridge on 219. You finish, and you cross the bridge, you come to the road, and there's some uh, critical, skeptical person that says, you just crossed the bridge to nowhere. <laughs> because it's expensive. They, they spent millions of dollars getting across Zor Valley, and they get to the other side, and they kind of ran out of money at the other side. But the, the highway's been done. The, the idea of how much it costs for one mile of highway is astronomical. And so when it comes to preparing our hearts, the job is difficult. The work is strenuous. It's expensive. But we must prepare our hearts because why? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. It's, it's revealed to prepared hearts. It's revealed without regard to nationality. Why? Because all flesh, it says, all people, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. There's certainty in his word. It's assured because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We're trading distress for direction. We're trading chaos for comfort. Here's the third one. We're trading strain for strength. Trading strain for strength. My daughter Delia started high school this week. She actually went to class for one day, so she has one story that she can tell you about what it's like to walk through high school. You remember what it's like to be a freshman in high school, and you don't know where you're going, you don't know where your locker is, you don't, and like, you try to get the map out ahead of time, and you like scope out your whole day, like, and we walked through all this stuff with Delia to make sure that she knew what she was going to do and where she was going to go. The worst thing is to be a high, in high school as a freshman and have to ask someone for directions, because you can't trust the directions that you're going to receive from anybody you ask. You're pretty certain that they're going to point you down the wrong hallway, tell you to turn right, and tell you to ask a teacher for, for help or walk into their classroom, and they've decided to pick you the worst person you could talk to anywhere in the building. And so she got directions to her health class, and she started walking down this hallway to health class, and she got into the shop department. And she's like, wait a minute, there's no way. So she kept turning back, kept walking back, but the reality was her health class was in the shop hallway, but she didn't trust what this person was saying. Uh, do you remember shop class? You remember, like, there's some really cool stuff you get to do in shop class. I don't know if you remember that. You get to whittle things out of wood. We got magazine racks and stuff that I made as a kid. And you, like, uh, I, one of the things that I remember doing is being able to use a spot welder and weld a small bridge that then you had to compete with your friends, other teams, to be able to see how much pressure could that bridge withstand. 
So you built your bridge and then you started putting weight on top of it, adding weight on top of it, more weight and more weight until the bridge crushed and collapsed. And see, we're in a, in, a, in a world right now that it feels like that we have our lives are like that bridge and it just seems like there's more weight, more things being added again and again and again until finally you or I break. And it seems like people are they're looking for that in our leaders. We're saying what will be the breaking point for our leaders? What will be the breaking point for, fill it in, you're just looking for that breaking point. And so we're all under a lot of strain, a lot of stress. But it says here that that's the normal. The new normal is to trade that strain in for strength. You see, you wouldn't do that with a bridge in real life. If a bridge is under strain and it's under stress, you wouldn't say, well, let's see how far we can go before. No, that's a safety hazard. You don't want someone driving across the bridge just to see if it'll still hold them. That's absurd. What you would do is you'd come in and you'd reinforce it and you'd add structure. You'd add different ways to be able to make that bridge strong enough to support traffic as it's going across. Verse 6 says this, a voice says, cry out. And I said, well, what would I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord would just blow on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice and shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Now remember, I told you the context here, Isaiah chapter 40. We're saying trading strain for strength. Isaiah chapter 40, Hezekiah has, has ruined his leadership potential. He, he, is, he, is, he has set things in a way that he is taking care of himself. And then when he's looking, he's saying, the next general, at least it's not happening to me. In the very last line here, it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers them and he gently leads those who have young. Those who were concerned about their kids and their children's children. When Hezekiah had left, everything come and fall apart and destroy it all. And he just said, you know what? It's not my problem because in my lifetime, everything is okay. He says here, he's comforting words that there's strength for you. He leads those who have young. And we look around us and there's plenty of different ways that we can find leadership failures in our schools. There's plenty of ways we can find leadership failures in our nation, in our country. There's plenty of ways you can find leadership failures here in our church. And you're going to find that those leaders are human, those leaders will fail, and you're going to find that the only place that you're going to be able to find support and strength for the journey is through the great shepherd. Let me explain. When it says here that all flesh is grass, it's talking about the frailty of Man, Isaiah thinks of the beautiful green grass that's covering the hills there in Israel that comes after the winter months where they have a lot of rain, but it doesn't take long in Israel before all that grass burns off as soon as the weather gets warm. If you've lived in a southern climate, you've seen this very real. When the weather comes up and it gets warm, if you're in Florida, if you're anywhere in the south, I mean, the grass just withers away. How quickly it happens, how frail and weak man is. And he makes this contrast to, to God's breath breathing a wind and it just blowing it all away. But you see, he says that the word of the Lord will endure. 
Isn't that true? Hasn't the word of God endured? Think about it. Specifically, the, the Bible that we have in front of us, how God's word has endured. God's word has endured translations. Our, our word has endured transcriptions. Our, our word that we hold in our hands has, has endured persecution. It has endured changing philosophies. It's endured all types of criticism. It has endured neglect from the pulpit, from pastors like me who have not handled it correctly, uh, pastors who have done a great job that the, the congregation in the pews have, have taken it and mismanaged God's word. And yet God's word remains consistent. It endures God's word stands forever. And so behold, it says here, the word of the Lord shall come, and the Lord shall come with a strong arm, come with strength. One thing we need to be reminded of, and we forget about it too often, is the imminent return of our Lord. Our God will return to this earth, and when he comes, he will come with power and come with strength. He comes to inspect his work. He comes to, to look and see what we've been up to. He is the Lord, and he is in charge. This is the first day of football season. It's a weird first day of football season, but it's a first day of football season. And anytime you see a game, or maybe you have to think back in the past when you see families come onto the field and that type of thing, where's this really big victorious win, and you've got this muscle-bound football player this lineman who's got muscles upon muscles upon muscles, or some of the linemen who have fat and then some muscle, but you know what I'm saying, like the really, really big guys. And their wife brings them their three-month-old, their four-month-old. And you see him after he has just been able to tackle and, and crush the opposition, and now he holds this baby with such tenderness in his hands. It's what you see here. You see the strength of God, and yet you see he feeds his flocks like a shepherd. Loving care like a shepherd taking care of his lambs. The Lord feeds us like a shepherd feeds his flock. God loves to identify himself with this term shepherd. We see it all through scripture. Many of the greatest men in the Bible are actually shepherds. And so they're like highlighted and we use them as illustrations often. Because the character of the shepherd points us to Jesus Christ. In Genesis, Abel is a picture of Jesus because he's a sacrificing shepherd. Uh, Jacob is a picture of Jesus because he is a working shepherd. Joseph, he's a picture of Jesus because he's persecuted first and then he's exalted as a shepherd. Moses is a picture of Jesus because he is calling out people from danger out of Egypt and he takes them away from danger. David, he is a, a picture of Jesus because he is a king. He is the shepherd king who cares for his people. In the new normal, we are trading chaos for comfort. We are trading strain for strength. And so if we trade those things, if we trade those things and we see this new normal, what do we find? I'm glad you asked. We find a renewed hope. Finish the chapter here. Isaiah, you get, scan down to the bottom of the verse. I'm looking at verse 30. We find a renewed hope beginning in verse 30. Even the youths will grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. If you're here with us this morning, you're elderly, and you stumble and fall occasionally, just, just know, hey, there's some young people who stumble and fall at times too, right? Uh, we're really good at stumbling and falling, tripling, tripping over ourselves. Just look at your child who's stumbling and falling all the time. Verse 31, though. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 
as the band comes up this morning, as we, as we sing a song of closing, we need to be reminded that we have hope. We have hope in this. I was uh, at my grandmother's funeral a number of years ago, and my aunt and uncle, they live on the family farm, and they were just telling us this great story to the congregation there who was gathered for the funeral of how there was an eagle beginning to nest on our family farm's property. Just the beauty of that eagle coming in and soaring in. And this verse meant so much to them in those moments because their faith was, this, was soaring on wings like eagles. If we wait in the Lord, we renew our strength. How do we receive the strength? Well, we put our hope in the Lord. But it's not a passive hope. No, it's a hope that actually is intentional. It's an expectancy. It's a desire for the hope and the faith that we have in God. We're, we're waiting on the Lord to do as He has said that He will do. And we're told that we'll renew our strength. It's a strength that was once received, maybe when you first came to the Lord, but there's a renewing of that through the hope that we have in Christ. We keep putting on fresh Strength. We mount up with wings like eagles, and you soar above all of the world's issues. Now, now listen, I'm, I'm not trying to just paint a beautiful picture for you, and you say, well, that's nice. You just want everything to feel good at the end of the service. No, no, understand here. It's a, it's a realization of who God is and that he is in control, and he doesn't make it easy. Don't, don't miss the part that Isaiah the prophet is talking to people in the midst of tremendous struggle that they're going to be ripped out of their homes and dragged away by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. They shall run and not be weary, he reminds them. They shall walk and not faint. Notice the order, because it does seem strange. Why would you take off running before you walked? Like if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to start by walking a mile or two, and then you're going to pick up, add miles, and start running more and more. No. The reality is, is when you have the strength, this renewed strength, you take off running. Oftentimes when someone accepts Christ, when they're new believers, they just take off on a dead sprint and you're like, man, slow down a little bit. And they said, I can't because I have a renewed strength that God is speaking and working through me that my heart is changed and it just pours out. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we set ourselves on a course to do what? To run the race. So this morning, in the arms of the shepherd, in the midst of chaos. Let this be our prayer. May you find comfort in the chaos. May you find strength for the journey. And may you find hope for a new day that's being talked about here in Isaiah. May you understand that God is God and He is in control and He has made a way. And in that we do mount up on wings like eagles. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the way it encourages us here this morning. Lord, as we look at the prophet Isaiah and his words, Lord, they are looking forward to the earthly demonstration of the Messiah. Lord, we can look back at God's word and see that that has happened. But they were able to find hope. It would take 400 years before you walked on this earth. But they found hope in these moments. Lord, we don't know when you're going to return we don't know if it's going to be this afternoon. We don't know if it's going to be in weeks, months, or 400 more years. But we find hope in you, Lord. Lord, there's a normal way to live this life, and the normal way seems to be incomplete. It seems to be isolating. It seems to be anxiety-ridden. And you've laid out a new way for us. Lord, we pray that we would find comfort in you. Lord, we pray we'd find direction from you. Lord, we pray that you would renew our strength. 
We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We introduced this song last week. And um, we've had a little bit of chaos in our service today. Our screens are not working. So you just stay seated. You can sing along with us if you'd like. Or just let this be the meditation of your heart today. I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night. Then like a tree firmly planted, I'll be grounded in your word. I will delight in the law. a tree firmly planted I'll be grounded in your tree firmly planted I'll be grounded in your word blessed and blessed is the one who follows the way of the Lord blessed is the one blessed blessed is the one who follows delight in the Lord. 